What's up, church? And what's up, online folks? You're the church, too. Church isn't a building, it's a people. Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16. You know, I love to read, and I love stories, which is why I love to read. I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan, so when I do, yes. I like Star Wars novels. That's what I enjoy reading, um, if I'm reading for fun or whatever. Um, you know, preferably if there's some kind of like space action sequence or a lightsaber duel, that's what I'm, that's what I'm about. Um, but I think we all like stories, right? We all like good stories. Even if you don't read, you hopefully, I mean, I, I would guess maybe not, that's okay. But hopefully you've at least seen a movie that you would say, hey, that was a good story. Contrarily though, we've probably all read a book or seen a movie where you're like, that is literally the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. Has anybody ever said that before? That is literally, okay, wow, man, you guys have never seen a, ba a bad movie, that is crazy, or you just not raise your hand? Seriously, how many people have seen a movie, it was like the worst movie they ever saw in their life? Okay, okay, well, you don't have, <laughs> all right, well, I didn't want to start naming movies, because people will be getting upset, Sharknado's my jam. How could you? We all prefer good stories to bad, usually, right? So today I want to talk about stories uh, even more important than Star Wars. But that story is your story, because that's the story that matters most to God. Everybody say, my story matters to God. Because you see, we're all living out our own story. Our lives are a book in in that book, there's tons of chapters, and there's twists, and there's turns, and there's plot changes, and there's different characters, and different, you know, places, and scenes, and whatnot, but each day, a new page is written into the book of our lives. Some of those pages, they're full of joy, and celebration, and laughter, and then some of the pages, they're full of struggle, and pain, and heartache. Some pages are full of moments we can't think of enough, and then there are others that we wish we could never think of again because that's how life is. We've all had good days and bad days, and we've watched as each day has unfolded, and thus a new page has been written in that book. But our stories, yours and mine, they're unique. None of us are living out the same story, because we're all our own individuals. And we all have a specific appointment by God for our lives, and that's what makes you and me special. Psalm 18.24 in the message says, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. And that's really what I want to challenge you with today. I want us to open the book of our hearts to God. Because when it comes to authoring stories, God is the best. And he's not just the best because he's gone, but he's the best because his stories are always perfect. They are. That doesn't mean that they're always easy. And that they're just full of good days instead of bad. No, those stories still come with those things. But God's stories always have the right characters with the right plot, with the right twists, the right turns. And I can tell you, they have the best ending. And so today, I want to take a look at five stories from Scripture and five promises that were connected to those stories and those characters. And what I want us to pay attention to today is not how these stories began, but how these stories 
ended. Are you guys with me? All right. So the first story I want to talk to you about is the story of the promised promotion. And that is with the guy named David, 1 Samuel 16. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. You guys over here, are you there? Because I didn't hear you. Thank you. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Verse 11. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. I thought that was about me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. Just disclaimer, because I've shortened this for time. David wasn't anointed because he was dark and handsome and had beautiful eyes. That's not what God was about. And there's a few verses I cut out where God specifically says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God was after David's heart. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, you might have heard of David. Maybe you've heard of David a lot. Maybe you know David well. You read the Psalms, you know his stories. But if you haven't, this is the same David from which we get the story about David and Goliath. But what you may not know is that at this particular time in David's life, he's 15 years old. 15. He's a boy, really. A young man, and now he's being anointed to be the next king. But what is more interesting to me is where you look at David's life went from this moment on. Because one might think, oh, he's the new king. Let's take him to the palace. Let's put a robe and a ring on him and let him sit in the throne. All hail King David. That's not what happened. It's not what happened. Over the next 15 years, David waited for this promised promotion from God. But he didn't just wait. He literally fled for his life. For a period of about seven years, King Saul, whom God rejected, was jealous of David. He was jealous of God's promotion that was placed on him, God's anointing on his life. We see throughout David as an as a, a army commander and as a warrior, he was second to none. He was God's chosen one, and Saul was jealous, and Saul tried to kill David. The king of the nation was trying to kill David numerous times. In 1 Samuel 19, 1, we're told that Saul actually appointed people to go assassinate David. He had tried to kill him already, but he said, just go assassinate him. He's probably sleeping in his tent. Just go kill him. Saul really wanted David dead. And not once, but twice throughout Scripture, we see that Saul threw a spear at David while he was playing his harp and singing. Picture that, okay? Imagine me on stage, I'm playing my guitar, I'm singing, and Pastor John, no, that would never happen, I'm just kidding, 
That wouldn't be cool, bro. But that's what David was doing. He was in the presence of the king to facilitate God's presence. And he was to create an atmosphere of, of worship and to ease the king's mind and those things. And so he's literally just playing his guitar, if you will, and singing. And Paul chucks the spear at him, not once, but twice. And I'm sure that there were many moments during these 15 years that David wondered if this was what his story was going to be about. Not only that, is this how my story ends? God, you promised that I was going to be the next king, but it's been years. I'm fleeing from my life. Page after page after page was written in David's book, one betrayal after another, one attempt on his life after another, troubled and bound by fear, hurt. He waited for 15 years, and it got to a point where he wrote in Psalm 59, God, wake up. See what is happening and help me. I don't need you to raise your hands, but have you ever felt in your life that God was asleep? Have you ever felt like God was not paying attention to what was happening to you? God, wake up. Don't you see what's happening to me? Aren't you aware? Church, have you ever wondered if God abandoned you? Because David did. But this wasn't the end of David's story. Turn over to Genesis chapter 37. Because the next story I want to look at is the story of the promised dream. The promised dream. And this is a story about a guy named Joseph. And I don't have a lot of time to get into Joseph's story. But it's one of the most fascinating characters I feel like in the Bible. And as you get into his story, you realize Joseph had a promise given to him as well. Genesis 37, if you're there, say yes. One night, Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Has God ever given you a dream that someone else tried to take away from you? Has God ever promised you something that Maybe someone else in your life, it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a parent, said, that's not going to happen. Never going to happen. Has God ever given you a God-sized dream? We see verse 11, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father had wondered what the dreams meant. Moving along to verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and we'll tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders up the road. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Joseph was 17 when he had this dream. He was 17 when God made this promise, and he was 17 
when he was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. 17 years old. And we take a look at Joseph's life as you go over the next few chapters, as you go throughout the book of Genesis from this point, you see over the next 13 years, that's exactly what Joseph was treated as, a slave. He was wrongfully accused of a crime he didn't commit. He was wrongfully imprisoned, neglected, mistreated, forgotten about. And I'm certain that there were times where Joseph wondered if this was the end of his story. Is this where my promise ends? 13 years, Joseph waited for his promised dream. And page after page after page was written in Joseph's book. And those pages were full of lies and betrayal, imprisonment, chains, neglect. So I ask you again, have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt that God didn't deliver on a promise? Has God ever given you a dream? But this wasn't the end of Joseph's story. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I know we're bouncing around here, so stick with me. 2 Chronicles 20, we're going to look at a story. And this is the story of the promised land. The promised land. And there's a king over Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. And he and his people were facing grave circumstances. 2 Chronicles 20, if you're there, say, "Mm mm-hmm. The armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mayanites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. And he also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat turned or stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. And he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. And they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Verse 10, and now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you promised us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We're powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. The promised land. This is a prime piece of real estate. God had promised this land, this country, to the nation of Israel. And what I love about the story of Israel is while God delivered them out of Egypt, see there's a book in the Bible called Exodus and they were all enslaved, millions of people enslaved by the Egyptians. And God didn't just deliver them from slavery, 
God delivered them to a blessing and a promise. That's cool, right? Sometimes God isn't just delivering you from something, but he's delivering, delivering you to something. And God wanted to deliver the nation of Israel to the best blessing that they could have, an inheritance, promised land. The Bible says it was land flowing with milk and honey. I love milk. I do. If I got like a peanut butter and honey sandwich with a glass of milk, I'm set. Sometimes do like bread, peanut butter, honey, bread, peanut butter, honey, bread. Call it a double decker with a glass of milk. It'll change your life. No, I'm kidding. The land flowing with milk and honey. This land was fertile. It wasn't just flowing with milk and honey like some kind of weird metaphorical thing, but it was absolutely perfect. It was divinely ordained to be the place where the people of God, the nation of Israel, found their residence. But in this story, it doesn't involve just one person, but an entire kingdom. Husbands and wives, children, grandchildren, loved ones, friends, families, a nation hung in the balance. And I'm sure there was a point on this day where some people from this nation thought it might be the end of their story. They're facing total annihilation, an army so big that they literally don't stand a chance. I'm sure they thought it was the end of their family's story, the end of their kingdom even. God, you promised us this land you said it was our inheritance, yet here we are, powerless, on the precipice of a fight we cannot win. Have you ever felt like you were on the losing side of a battle? Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? But this wasn't the end of the story for Judah. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I want to talk to you about a promised son. A promised son. And here we have this woman from Shunem. And she doesn't even have a name. The Bible doesn't refer to her by name. But we have this woman and this story. 2 Kings chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 8. If you're there, say, no doubt. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went to this upper room to rest. And he said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? And Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. And when the woman returned, Elisha said to her, she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. 
No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Verse 18, one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. The promise died. Here we have this woman and all she wanted was to host this man of God. She just wanted to prepare a place for him. She just wanted to honor God by honoring the man of God. She just wanted to do right by that. She wanted him to have a place where he could rest and eat and recuperate from his travels. And she did so faithfully to the point where Elisha wanted to do something nice for her. So he made a promise to this woman. But notice this is not a promise that she asked for and wasn't looking for. She didn't ask for this promise, but God gave it to her anyway. Verse 28, we see the woman travels to see Elisha and said to him, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Have you ever had a conversation like that with God? Did I ask you for this? I didn't ask for this promise. And now look, the promise is dead. Literally died. It died on my lap. That gift that I didn't ask for that you gave me, that promise, it died in my arms. I'm certain this woman thought this was the end of the story for her beloved son. This promised son. So I ask you, church, have you ever felt like a promise that God gave you died? Has a gift from God ever died? Have you been so full of joy one moment and so full of sorrow the next? In this story, this woman was fine, wasn't seeking anything. And after this promised son died, her story had page after page of hurt and pain and brokenness, sorrow. But this wasn't the end of the story. And this leads me to the last story I want us to look at together. And that's the story of the promised Savior. Turn over to John chapter 19. Jesus was the promised Savior. The Bible is full of stories and prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah. 353 prophecies over hundreds and even thousands of years. And those prophecies predicted the coming of the Messiah. They predicted his reign and his rule and that it would last forever and that he would bring peace and he would bring justice. And even though that the nation of Israel was oppressed, he would bring freedom. And he wouldn't just rule for one lifetime, but for an infinite amount of lifetimes. He would rule forever with an iron scepter, destroying any and all who would oppose God and his people. But then we read in John chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished 
And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus died that day. The promised Savior died that day. The promised deliverance for the nation of Israel died. The promised hope, their peace, their freedom, it died that day. And there were 11 disciples and many more who followed Christ that were left feeling afraid and abandoned. They stood there, they heard him say, it is finished. It is finished? What do you mean it's finished, Jesus? I thought you were supposed to rule forever. You were supposed to bring peace and you were supposed to bring life and freedom. We're being oppressed, you were supposed to deliver us. What do you mean it's finished? How can you be dead? How can you be gone? You were our promised savior. And page after page after page in many books that day and over the days that followed were full of tears and confusion and loneliness. And I'm certain that many people that called themselves followers of Christ thought that that was the end of the story. But it wasn't the end of the story. None of these stories ended where I left off. You see, God's promise of promotion to David, it was fulfilled. He had to wait 15 years, and I know waiting isn't fun, but after those 15 years of waiting, church, God delivered on his promise. And God's promised dream to Joseph, it came to fruition. It didn't happen like he maybe imagined it would. It didn't happen in the timeline that he expected maybe. And he had to wait 13 years to get out of jail and to be promoted, to be second in command of Pharaoh. And then another 10 years, 23 years. He waited 23 years, church, but God delivered on the promise. The promised land, it wasn't conquered by those neighboring nations. No, no, no. God showed up in a mighty way. And I tell you what, church, if you've never heard this story, the Israelites, the kingdom of Judah, they didn't even have to pick up a weapon. They didn't need to. God just said, go out and sing your praises to me and I will deliver you. And I'm telling you, church, go back and read the story. God delivered on the promise and they did not even have to fight the battle. The Shunammite woman, that promised son, didn't stay dead. Elisha went to their house and he raised that son to life. And that mother was able to hold that promise in her arms again, alive and well and healthy. God delivered on the promise. And God's promised Savior, his son Jesus, he didn't stay dead either. Because we know three days later, he rose to life again. And with his life and resurrection, he bought freedom. And he brought healing. And he brought authority. And he brought an establishment of his kingdom. He brought deliverance. He brought us to a new level and to a new life. Jesus is raised to life again because God 
delivered on the promise. God delivered on the promise. These stories, they may have looked like they were over, but I love that we serve a God that says it's over when I say it's over. God had more to write into these stories. And it's the same for your story as it is for mine. Because I don't know what's written on the pages of your book. I don't know what your past looks like. Maybe it's full of brokenness. Maybe it's full of sadness and sorrow. I don't know. But I can tell you that your story, it's not done yet. It's not over yet. Open the book of your heart to God and let him write the rest of your story. I know it's not gonna be perfect, but I know that if God is authoring the story, if he's holding the pen, it will be the best, the absolute best that's available to you. And I just wanna be real transparent, honest with you guys for a few minutes and talk a little bit about my story for the last year. Many of you know of some of the struggles I've been through physically over the last year. And I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism that put my heart out of rhythm. And I was high risk for heart attack, was in the early stages of heart failure. And I've been working with doctors and medical teams and specialists and you know, they couldn't figure it out because they'd never seen a 35-year-old with those kinds of problems. But in August, I had a procedure done that put my heart back in rhythm. So I thought I was good. And on Christmas Day, my heart went out of rhythm. And I, I can't really describe how awful that felt physically. It was like one of the worst things I've ever experienced physically in my life. And for the next eight days, I didn't talk to God. I didn't read my Bible. I felt abandoned. I felt like God forgot about me. I thought I was healed. I thought this was worked out. Eight days of bitterness and resentment towards God. Maybe you've had this type of conversation with him. God, I thought you healed me. I thought you were healer. I thought you had my back. I thought it was done. I thought I was coming on the other side of this thing and God, you abandoned me. And if I can just be even more real for a moment, as a pastor, having come through four services on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, as I'm spending it with my family, resting and recuperating from those four services and celebrating the birth of Jesus was the last day that I expected my heart to go out of rhythm. And can I just be honest? That was a bad day. And I was so angry with God. Eight days. And then God in his grace spoke a verse into my spirit. And I want to share that verse with you now. And it's John 10, 38. And it's Jesus talking, and Jesus says, even if you don't believe in me, 
believe in the miraculous works that I have done. You see, church, I thought this was gonna be how my story ended. I guess I'm just gonna be sick. I guess I'm just not gonna be able to breathe. I guess I'm just not gonna feel good. I'm just gonna wake up every day and feeling tired and lethargic and not able to take deep breaths. I guess this is how my story is. But God told me in this moment, remember the miraculous works that I have done. Even if you don't believe in me, I'm not saying believe in me again, I'm just saying remember. And so I would take a few moments here and I'd reflect a little bit there and God through his spirit began to remind me of the impossible things that were made possible because we serve a God that does impossible things. I had forgotten in those eight days, I had forgotten that we served the creator of the universe, the God that spoke light and things into existence. I had forgotten that the God of angel armies was on my side. I had forgotten that the God that does impossible things was for me. And if God could be for me, that nobody could be against me. I had forgotten who was the author of my story. I had forgotten that God still heals. I had forgotten that God still saves. I had forgotten that God is still able. God is still able, church. God is able. God is able. Amen. He still heals. He delivers on his promise. He is good. He is faithful to the very end. I want to be honest, my thyroid, it's still messed up. My heart's still out of rhythm. But I'm trusting God again. I'm human just like you. And some of those pages were filled with some dark writing. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're hearing online or listening to the podcast. Maybe you're feeling abandoned by God. Hear me today. He is near. Are you feeling forgotten? God has called you by name. Are you feeling broken? God crafted you a masterpiece when he made you. He can put you back together. Are you feeling sick, like you need a miracle there? Well, God is healer. Are you feeling ashamed of your sin? There's grace. God still saves. Are you in need of a miracle today? God is able. The promise still stands. God will deliver on every single promise. He will deliver on every single promise, church. And I don't know what's in your past, but if you hand God the pen, he will write the best future for you. Your best days, they're not behind you. They're ahead. They're in front of you. I just want to encourage you today. Joshua 21:45 says, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord has given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true 
in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. God is able and God wants to write each of your stories. For a brief time, I took that pen back from God for eight days and I penned some things that I wish I hadn't, but I'm thankful that when, in giving God the pen, he is writing a better future for me and he's doing the same thing for you. Let's just bow our heads together. I just wanna ask this morning, if you're here or maybe you're listening, you're hearing the sound of my voice and you have never allowed God to be your savior, if you've never given him the opportunity, would you just slip your hand in the air right now? Nobody's looking around. But if you want God to be savior for you today, would you just raise your hand? I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? We're not going to pull you out of your seat. We're not going to make you come to the front. Anybody else that says, I want God to be savior today? Thank you for raising your hands. You know, the Bible says that we simply need to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts in who Jesus was and that he died and was raised to life again. So I just want to pray this simple prayer together. And I'm just going to ask you guys, everybody in here to repeat after me. God, I believe that Jesus died. I believe he was raised again. I believe that you will write a better future than I could on my own. Be my savior. Be the author of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. For those of you that were honest, thank you for opening the book of your heart to God. But if you're here today and you're feeling maybe what I felt, if you're feeling abandoned or left alone by God, there's encouragement for you. Your story is not over. Give God the pen. And this promise right here, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is able. Your story is not done. God is able, right? Your story is not done. He is faithful to deliver on every promise. Hallelujah. Come on, give him some praise in this place. Give him some praise. Yes, Lord, we praise you. Thank you for your faithfulness.